Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Mr. President, up here! I voted for you! Wait a minute. That guy on the grassy knoll's got a gun. He's gonna shoot the president. Holy smokes, I've gotta do something! All right, Lee. Time to become an American hero. Ho, Merry Christmas, boys and girls, and welcome to the Lone Gunman Podcast. I hope you've all been good this year, and Santa comes to see you soon. Wait a minute. Get out of here with that crap, Santa. Neopolis Media Group and the Double Deuce 22 November Network proudly bring to you the Lone Gunman Podcast, featuring me, that's right, your boy Rob Clark. Stay tuned. I'll be right there. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. This is Walter Cronkite in our newsroom, and there has been an attempt, as perhaps you know now, on the life of President Kennedy. He was wounded in an automobile driving from Dallas Airport into downtown Dallas, along with Governor Connolly of Texas. They've been taken to Parkland Hospital there, where their condition is as yet unknown. We have just learned, however, ever that Father Huber, one of the two priests called into the room has administered the last sacrament of the church to President Kennedy. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time, 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, some 38 minutes ago. The bulletin is that our correspondent uh, in Dallas, Dan Rather, reports that the Dallas police have arrested a 30-year-old man who was found with a weapon in his possession. I wonder who that 30-year-old man was. Hmm. Because I think Lee Harvey Oswald was, what, 24 years old? Mm-hmm. Ah, anyway, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. First, a few mea culpas to get out of the way. Uh, last week on the show, I uh, I kind of painted the uh, JFK group fair play for JFK, for which Jim Hess is the administrator as a lone nut group. 
And I would like to retract that statement and say that it is not a lone nut group. It is fairly split down the middle, uh, although it is run by lone nutter Jim Hess. And uh, those lone nutters are a lot more vocal than the conspiracy theorists there. I'm joking, Jim. Calm down now. I'm not going to do another mea culpa, so don't get your don't get your hopes up there, buddy. Nah, it's a great group. It's well administrated, and uh, it's exclusive. There's only a certain amount of members, so if line up now, get in line now, uh, so that when the next one gets booted, you can get in. And it's a great group. Also on the show today, another great administrator of the JFK Assassination Research Bureau is on the show. That's right, my buddy, Mr. Charles. Cliff. Now I understand. I, I had a couple. Uh, we, we had some Skype issues. I'm not sure what was going on here. Uh, it was one of my most edited episodes uh, yet. But I think it's, the message is great, and what we talk about is very, very uh, entertaining and informative. So please bear with me on the on the uh, on the Skype issues, but. It's a great show, and I thank my buddy Charles for coming back on. And once again, folks, a Merry Christmas to all. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Lone Gummin Podcast. This is episode number 95, and I'm your host, Rob Clark. And today, returning for a third time on the Lone Gummin Podcast, is my friend, Charles Cliff. How you doing, sir? It's my hat trick performance, Rob. I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm throwing my lone gummin hat into the rink right now. Bam. Go. <laughs> so, Charles, how you been, man? It's been a while. It has been a while. I've been doing well and just uh, keeping keeping on rolling. And, uh, yeah, no, it's been good lately. I'm good. getting ready for holiday season, and that's that. I know. It's almost here, man. This this year has flown by. Whew. Gone by so quickly. I know. I th- it's true what they say, man. The older you get, the faster it goes. I'm telling you. <laughs> so today, uh, Charles, we're going to be talking about the media and and how they treated uh, Oswald, how they treated the assassination in general, and uh, we're going to we're going to step on down the the, the timeline of a uh, you know important events uh, surrounding the assassination. We're going to talk about how. The uh, the media viewed them, how the public uh, viewed them in light of how the media showed us things. And uh, I guess what better place than to start it off is at the actual assassination itself. I mean, the media played a huge part in public perception, uh, you know, right off the bat. Yes, it, they certainly did. I mean, I've gone back and I've listened to um, several first day media reports. I've listened to actually all of the major networks. I've listened to different radio stations, and there's a lot of problems right from the very get-go, almost from the initial reports, really kind of set the stage for what was to come down the road. I mean, if you think back to the initial, the you know, everyone's seen this famous bulletin with the uh, the bulletin across the screen and Walter Cronkite's voice going over it saying, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. Now, that yeah. came from the... Um, that came from a um, report by a UPI, UPI reporter named Merriman Smith, who uh, dictated that on the press bus in the um, in the motorcade. Well, 
first of all, I don't know why they bothered to say the number of shots because he heard three shots. But to be honest, I mean, he at that point, it was literally within two or three minutes of the actual event. And there was really no um, confirmation. Real way of accounting how many shots could possibly have been uh, put in. So they kind of took that three shots um, bulletin and just kind of ran with it. And that was kind of the way the media kind of got on the three shot thing. So that's kind of how it started. And then just kind of went from there. Now, the funny thing is, if you listen to the major networks, and then you go back and you listen to um, local Dallas radio reports, there's differences there because the major networks went with the three shots. The local Dallas ones, and in particularly KLIF, which was the local Dallas um, uh, radio station, KLIF, they called it Cliff Radio. Hey, Cliff Radio. Yeah. No, but they went enough, they weren't going right with the three shots narrative. They said a number of shots, they said several shots. They didn't give subscribe a number like the media, like the got main networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, like they did. So they kind of uh, there's a difference between the local coverage and the national coverage right from the beginning. I can just imagine the, uh, the the chaos in Dealey Plaza, you know, with all these reporters running around. I mean, they had the press bus there, they had local media on the ground, and you know, they were scrambling to scoop up people to interview and pull them off the street and you know i guess back then they really didn't have the capability to stick a microphone in people's face on the scene you know so they were bringing them back to the studio they brought the newmans back to the studio they brought uh Zapruder back to the studio uh they were interviewing uh gene hill mary mormon and and, and the list goes on and on i mean it was, it was pretty crazy back then yeah well and if you look at the earliest eyewitness reports that are being brought out by the media, uh, one of the first reports was an interview with Jean Hill. She said that the shots came from the hill across the street from where she was standing. Then you also have um, Bill and Gail Newman, who um, were there, and they said that the shots came from, I think he called it the, the mall or the knoll, Towards the underpass. Yeah, I think he said something about it over his shoulder. Bill and Gail Newman, to this day, they're both still alive. And they both are still adamant that the shot came from on the hill behind the fence. Right, yeah. And that's the way it was put out on, on the news. And uh, initially, you know, there was, you know, a ton of reports. You had Pierce Allman calling in, um, Bob Clark calling in. And and these guys were calling stations all over the country and 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 giving reports. You know, there's they were calling San Francisco, giving reports. They were calling New York, and that's what I like to do. I like to listen to the very very earliest earliest reports before everything gets perverted um, by by everything else. And it's it's really interesting to see. I mean, you hear reports of. You know, a man and a woman. Uh, you hear reports yeah, of people running away. You know, secret ser- secret service agents getting shot. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, and the strange thing is, is that they report all these facts. The secret service agent is very interesting to me because that was reported by virtually every single media outlet. In fact, KLIF even said that they had confirmed 
or no, it was WFAA, sorry, the TV station, said that they had confirmed the secret agent, secret service agent being killed. And then later, you never hear anything else about it down the, down the way. I think uh, it's apparent now that no secret service agent uh, was killed. Well, then why did you have a report like that in the first place that everybody had reported on? Yeah, and I think Jerry Coley, the newspaper guy from the Dallas Morning News, he re- he, he reported seeing a – well, he wrote it, um, but he, he reported seeing a pool of blood, you know, up there at the top That's of the, the steps. Yeah. yeah. So, and again, there's something that doesn't get reported. Uh, very few people probably know who Jerry Coley is. Uh, you got to do a lot of digging to find it out, but he reported that, and he put it in a police report. Yeah. So where does the pool of blood at the stairs all of a sudden come from? Yeah, for the people that just say it was just spilled pop, you know, they thought it was maybe a red-eye soda or something or a, a cherry knee-high or whatever. His The guy he was with dipped his finger in it and tasted it. It was blood. Okay, this is what he. This is what Jerry Coley's saying now, and this is you know part of the story that he wrote in in the Dallas Morning News that got quashed yeah. very quickly by the FBI. Oswald and pretty much any other options kind of went out the window. They didn't look in any other direction as soon as Oswald was arrested. They just focused in on him. And not only that, in the early reporting, there were several reports of people being arrested on several different news outlets. There were reports of a rifle being taken into um, into custody, and this is before they even found the rifle in the book depository. And another thing that's very, very interesting is, you know, of course, the famous sniper's nest, and they found the bullets um, or the shells sitting there by the window. Well, those shells were like various floors at various times. I heard them say they were found on the second floor. I heard it said it was found on the fourth floor. I heard it said they were found on the fifth floor. I heard them say found on the sixth floor. Yeah. Well, yeah. it shouldn't be that hard to difficult to deduce when something is found where it was found. But why does it keep changing all the time? I mean, if it changed, well, maybe you said the wrong thing once. But there were multiple floors they were reported found on. And it no rhyme or reason for it. Virtually every media outlet reported that a Mauser had been found. Yeah. And if you look at it, the Mauser was reported well into the night of November 22nd, right into November 23rd. And in fact, Henry Wade gives a press conference on, on the night of the 22nd where he refers to the rifle as a Mauser. Basically, the uh, the Mauser, uh, it was reported numerous reported throughout the day. It was reported by virtually every single media outlet. And as I it was also reported late that night when uh, District Attorney Henry Wade gave a press conference. He also referred to it as a Mauser. And then all of a sudden, on the 23rd, the rifle becomes a Mandelika Cartano with no explanation. It's just a, a change, and all of a sudden, that's that. Uh, it's a Mandelika Cartano, and the Mauser is never mentioned again. So why the discrepancy, and how – why did it change, and how did it change? But there's no explanation given. But other than the fact that they had this uh, man like a Carcano supposedly tied to Oswald, so all of a sudden it becomes a man like a Carcano. Yeah, and they had called it a Japanese rifle. Yeah, they called it a Japanese rifle. They called it a British Enfield 303. Yeah. They called it a Mauser. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's. it's so, yeah. 
Yeah, I think they even called it an Argentine rifle at, at one point. So you've got different descriptions of the rifle. You've got shells being found on, reportedly found on different floors in different areas. And it's just, um, you, you can't make rhyme or reason of it. So it, it doesn't make any sense. Then you get to shooting. And that's even more strange because, of course, Tippett is killed at Tents and Pat. But one report had Tippett being killed in the Texas theater. He said that uh, one report, this I believe was from NBC, said two police officers, Tippett and N.M. McDonald, went into the Texas theater, found Oswald sitting in the balcony, which is not where the police arrested him. Yeah. Oswald and the police uh, were in a shootout. Uh, Oswald fired, killing Tippett, and then McDonald arrests Oswald, which is not at all how it happened. It's not even remotely close. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I think... Well, I think... I, well I'm just going to say, that they're getting this info from... So where are they getting this info from? And why is it so poorly... Uh, why is it so poorly in, inaccurate? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, I mean, they still do the same thing today. They, they run with stuff. I mean, they've gotten a little better, but... You know, in this day and age, you know, with with Twitter and instant news, and you know, they they, they get reports from whoever they can, and uh, and they just run with stuff, and then they just figure, you know, well, yeah. if it's wrong information, we'll just fix it later. But you know, if it was a back then, I mean, you figure these these reporters would have a police source where they're getting information from. You know, they I I can't imagine they're just talking to each other and saying and trying to figure it out on their own, and they're reporting it. I always thought that they would at least at least have a police source, you know, somebody that would know what's going on and could tell them. And then as that day went along and that day progressed, a couple things, well, one thing that seemed bizarre to me, now, this was 1963. This, of course, is before the age of the Internet. It's before the age of social media and all of this stuff. They were getting stuff over teletype, they were getting all sorts of different things. The speed in which they got information about Oswald is absolutely unreal in that day, of age, day and age. An hour after Oswald is arrested, they knew he was connected with the, the Fair Play for Cuba committee. They knew that he had been to Mexico. They knew that he had a Russian wife. This is all before the age of, of you know going to the Internet and looking stuff up. And this is supposedly some lone nobody that, um, you know, nobody knew anything about. And yet they've got all of this information within about an hour of the guy ever being heard of. And, of course, we know the, uh, the whole story um, Fletcher Prouty tells about being in New Zealand on that day where he's there and they put out an afternoon or, uh, well, I guess it would be a morning um, paper in New Zealand because of the time change and their morning papers had a, a huge story about Kennedy. They had all this background information about Oswald. They had all of this. Um, they had a studio picture of Oswald, not something taken from a, a TV film or anything. This is one where he's work, uh, done in like a photo studio and stuff yeah. like that. And this piece is coming out and he doesn't even get charged with the crime of killing President Kennedy for four more hours after this paper is readily available to buy on the street. So how did they get all this information? This is the other side of the planet. Yeah, I know, and I'll tell you something so interesting too, media. Charles. 
I was talking to uh, James yeah. Wagonford, who was the, who worked for Time Life back then, and he was in New York, and uh, when uh, you know Orville Nix came up there to, and to try to sell him their their movie or his movie, and he he was telling us at the conference last year that the day after the assassination, he had some guy hand him a Manila envelope with the news footage from Oswald in New Orleans handing out his leaflets. And this is the next day, you know, within 24 hours, they dug this stuff up and got it all the way to New York. So, you know, it's just, it, 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 like you said, it's, it's yeah. crazy how much they knew about this guy. You know, I mean, I think they did run a couple stories and a couple papers about his defection, uh, you know, when it happened. But, you know, this, this would have been, you know, a couple years before the assassination. So for these newspapers to, you know, dig dig through and find what they had written about this guy. I mean, they would have had to go through microfiche, which is a pain in the ass. You know, it wasn't like they could, you know, cross cross reference and index and find this guy in a couple seconds. You know, they would have had to have some people or, or somebody or a couple people, you know, scour old copies of newspapers or microfiche to find the information about this guy. Not only is defection they had the dates he was defecting. Another thing that I've always found interesting, and if you look at the reporting from the first day, they made a very good effort to try and paint him as a communist. They brought up numerous times how he was uh, uh, connected with the Fair Play for Cuba committee. They brought up numerous times that he had defected and lived in Russia, that he had a Russian wife. So they were, this was communism that they were uh, painting him with. As the week went on and Oswald gets killed, and as we got further and further away from the event, Oswald being a communist, communist became less and less of a story. It more became Oswald as being a loner, a malcontent, a guy just going out for fame. And the communist issue just kind of gets put in the back burner and just kind of gets um, you know put behind um um, everything because we know the story of people saying, "Well, Oswald was uh, a setup to uh, to um, you know um, justify an invasion of Cuba." And then because people were thinking that with Oswald being tied to the Cubans, people were going to start demanding an invasion of Cuba. Like the general public were going to blame Cuba, and they were going to demand an invasion of Cuba. Well, that never happened because people were too busy mourning Kennedy to really get angry about who had done it. So that narrative of him being a communist goes by the wayside, and then he just becomes some loner, nut, malcontent who wanted to um, kill JFK to get saved. So then I got another question about that. If that is the case, and he was just some loner nut uh, that wanted to uh, get famous by killing the president, why did he spend the he was in custody. Anytime he got in front of the media, he denied doing it. He said he had nothing to do with the crime. Yeah. Yeah, you know, somebody that would do that for a reason. I mean, there had to be a reason if Oswald killed Kennedy, there had to be a reason for it. You know, the guy would have been saying, you know, look, the guy deserved it. He's a he's a pinko commie or whatever his excuse would have been. You know, if he wanted fame and, and, and notoriety and stuff, yeah, he would have been he would have been uh, screaming that at the top of his lungs. But, yeah, you're right, man. He didn't say nothing. No, he just kept saying, I didn't do it. I'm being set up. I'm a patsy. Um, he kept asking for a lawyer. He never got a lawyer. Um, he kept saying, 
you know, I know nothing about this. Um, that the same as the midnight press conference. They brought him in front of the media there down in the uh, in the assembly room, down in the uh, Dallas Police Department. Yeah. And there's always been a moment that kind of struck me. I've gone back and watched it over and over again. Uh, when the one reporter asked Oswald, did you kill the president? He says, no, I have not been charged with that. Nobody has said that to me yet. And then somebody, I guess it was another police officer or something like that, says, you have been charged with that. So there's two things that strike me this. First, did they go on and charge him without even really telling them that they were charging him with it? And B, when the guy says you have been charged with that, Oswald gets this look on his face. And I've always described it as, from what I see, as a light bulb going on inside his head. And I, I've always claimed that this might be the moment that he totally figures out exactly what's going on. Because in his facial expression, he kind of gets this look on his face saying, oh, you know what? I get it now. And then yeah. at that point, he shuts it all together. Yeah, I call that the oh shit moment. And and it's like, you know, Which? The, the oh shit moment. You know, the moment when you realize that you're screwed and you've been screwed and, you know, you, everything, you finally realize, like everything just comes together in one single moment and, and you figure it out and you're like, oh my God, you know, they're going to pin this shit on me. And I always wondered if he thought at that moment, he's like, oh, no one's coming. They're going to, they're going to nail me to the wall for this. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, he'd been in custody yeah. for, you know, what, 10 hours almost at that point, and, and he, he, they expect us to believe they never mentioned anything about the Kennedy assassination. They were just, they just were just, you know, questioning him about Tippett for 10 hours. I don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. You know, he had to, because it really looked to me like he had no inclination whatsoever that they were going to charge him with murdering Kennedy. No, I think they were thinking, oh, well, you know, they've made a mistake on this, and it, it's not going to happen. Eventually, they're going to let me go. Well, at that point, I think he realized, "Hey, I'm not going anywhere. These guys have got me. These guys are going to are going to pin this on me. I'm going to be their guy." Uh, at that moment, and you'll notice after that moment, he virtually has almost no contact with the media. After I think they brought him in front of the media through the hallway. I think once more. And before they had paraded him down the hallway three or four times, and it was virtually none after that. I think the only contact he had after that was with his brother and Marina, I think. And, you know, there were some very weird uh, conversations there, you know, telling his brother that, uh, you know, looking into his eyes, you know, you won't find anything there, brother. And, you know, just telling Marina, oh, just make sure Junie gets new shoes or something. He never really, when he was there... They're just harassing me because right. I, I defected to Russia and I have a Russian wife. So, you know, that's that's why they're harassing me. It's just another, you know, because he was used to, you know, hosty harassing him and, and the FBI. And, and uh, you know, he just figured that, you know, logically, you know, since he worked in the building and with his background, that they were going to have an eyeball on him. But if he didn't do anything, that eventually they would have to let him go and clear him. And, uh, and there's no trial. Of course, because he was dead, and so of course Lyndon Johnson appoints the Warren Commission. To me, this is part two of where the media didn't do their job properly. Whether it was on purpose or not, they didn't do the job properly. So the Warren Commission conducts this dog and pony show for for ten months or whatever, and he released the Warren report in the fall of 1964. Interesting timing too, because it was right before the presidential election where LBJ, who appointed the commission, was running for 
the election. Yeah, a man that can get things done. So once the Warren report is released, the media has a loving with it. Basically, there's no questioning of it. They report it. I remember CBS had a big special hosted by Walter Cronkite uh, the day it was released. And they go through the whole report and they say, you know what? Oswald did it. They've done this. They've got 26 volumes. Case closed. No questioning of it. No real, um, um, you know, anyone asking real hard questions about it. It's just, here's the report. Here's what happened. End of story. It gets glowing reviews. Uh, the major networks produce specials. Basically, they don't challenge anything. They don't ask any hard questions. And it basically becomes the final word on the assassination as far as the media is concerned. And to this day, it still pretty much is, even though there's a lot out there that um, should cause media to um, be asking some more questions. But they don't. They accept it as gospel and say, okay, well, this is it. We're going forward with this. But what's interesting in this is that the United States media, like the major mainstream media, they pretty much took the Warren Report uh, findings and just accepted it. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Got to the, they weren't so easily sold on it. In fact, a lot of the early criticism of the Warren Report came from foreign media. A lot of the people in the foreign media, when they saw that, like, Alan Dulles were part of the uh, Warren Commission, they weren't so readily um, able to um, accept it. And they did ask some questions. I mean, it fell on deaf ears because these guys in the Warren Commission didn't really care what the foreign media was saying. But they were far more critical of the Warren Report than the mainstream media in the United States. Oh, yeah. I call it the bubble. You know, because we, we, we okay. live here. You know, we have yeah, to deal the with bubble. the media here. And Americans, you know, and even for that part, Canadians, I mean, because, you know, our, our, our media is damn near the same. You know, we get a lot of the same things. And our view, our perspective of of our own self through our media is is, is definitely biased in a certain way. You know, if you go to England or you go to Russia or you go to Iran, their media view of the United States and what we're doing here is totally different than the news that we get here. And it's unbiased and it's unfiltered, you know, and and I I can just imagine how the rest of the world uh, views us. You know, it's it's hard for us to imagine how they view us, but uh, I'm sure it's quite different than, than our own perspective. Absolutely, it must be. And it's that way today. I mean, if you look and watch, let's say you watch the uh, NBC Nightly News or the CBS Evening News, and then you go off and you watch a newscast from the BBC in London or some other foreign capital, it'll seem like you're watching two different days because they won't seem remotely close because the narrative over in Europe is far different from what you get from the media here. Yeah, and it's from back those days. It was the same with the Warren Commission because uh, the U.S. mainstream media pretty much accepted the Warren Commission. The media in Europe were, was not ready to do so. And yeah, in fact, I, agree. I remember watching. I remember seeing a documentary online. Uh, it was a BBC documentary out of England called "Who Shot um, President Kennedy," and they were extremely critical of some of the findings of the Warren Commission, and they almost when they got to talking about the magic bullet, they almost started mocking it because they thought it was so ridiculous. Not here. Here they were just willing to uh, accept what they brought out there. In about the mid-1960s, 65, 66, you started to get the first real wave of Warren Commission critics. 
guys like Mark Lane, guys like Harold Warner, uh, Sylvia Marr, uh, some of these people coming out with these books like Rush to Judgment, uh, Accessories After the Fact. You started to get more and more of these critics who were going through and they were reading the war report and they were saying, you know what, this isn't right. There's a bunch of problems with this thing that nobody's ever pointed out. And then you would start to get these media programs where you would have one of these critics, critics, whether it be Mark Lane, whether it be Harold Weisberg or whoever, and you'd have them there on one side and then they usually bring in a couple of the Warren Commission uh, staffers uh two of the most common ones were Arlen Specter and uh, David Bellin and then you get some of the lawyers sometimes guys like Joe Ball guys like um Wesley Weaver guys like um Albert Jenner and they bring them on for these new shows for debates to a T the guy running the debate the moderator of the debate was always far more favorable to the Warren Commission uh side than they were to the side of the critics they would always be giving the critics a hard time and basically giving the Warren Commission guy carte blanche to say what they wanted without questioning them. And then if one of the critics jumped up and tried to question them, the moderator would say, oh, please stop interrupting. And it, it was never an even playing field. It was always slanted towards the Warren Report, no matter what they did. Oh, most definitely. You know, I, I, I like watching them old shows too. <laughs> Seeing Mark Lane there puffing on his pipe in black and white and, uh, you know, it, staying calm, cool, and collected. And, you know, but yeah, there's definitely a media bias, you know, when it comes to the official story because, you know, back then, you know, people kind of looked up to who, who, who was on this Warren Commission. You know, they figured that, you know, the Supreme Court Justice Earl Warren, you know, was. You know, the highest chief in the land, you know, to be respected. And, of course, you know, Alan Dulles, uh, John McCloy, all these uh, senators and and, and, uh, and congressmen, you know, on, on the Warren Commission were to be respected. And, uh, you know, people just bought into it without question, you know, because I, I, I think it's more naive, naivete, naivete uh, than, than anything, you know, back then. They weren't, they, they you know, they didn't realize that, that, their, that their government could lie to them. You know, they didn't want to face that fact. Uh, they just wanted to uh, say, oh, everything's great, everything's good, the government's good, and they're always honest and upfront with us. Well, that's not always the case. Uh, I'm not saying that the government lies on everything, but I don't think they're awfully truthful on everything either. Uh, well, I know they're not truthful on anything. They've been exposed it many times. Uh, and what was always interesting to me is that they never, ever would put out put in front of people actual commission members, guys like we said, Alan Dulles, guys like uh, McCoy, guys like uh, Earl Warren, uh, Chief Justice. They always put out the staffers, guys like uh, Spector, David Bellin, Albert Jenner, Wesley Liegler, Joseph Ball. Those were always the guys they were putting out, the, the staffers. They never put out the actual commission members uh, with these, um, with these um, critics. And um, I'm not sure, again, if you were... Uh, if you've ever heard, there was one time, I believe it was in early 1967, I believe it was at a high school in Beverly Hills, they actually had a debate. It was Mark Lane on his own with three guys. It was Joseph Ball, uh, I believe Albert Jenner, and one other guy, one other staffer there. They were debating various points um, of the case. And there were times that they attempted to cut Mark Lane's speaking time because they said, oh, well, this I was talking about this part of the commission 
he went over, he went too long. So we're not going to give Mr. Lane a chance to speak. We're going to go on to the next commission guy. Yeah. And I remember distinctly after this debate was over, uh, they were interviewing people in the crowd who was in the uh, crowd watching the debate. And they were very critical of these Warren Commission guys. They're like, well, we didn't know. And they were listening to Mark Lane and stuff like that. Not to say that Mark Lane is the all end all. I mean, he has some issues with him too. But um, but you got to at least give him some credit for being out there and putting himself uh, out to scrutiny because he, he was one of the early uh, faces of the uh, Warren Commission critics. Far more uh, complimentary, these people in the audience, to the case that Mark Lane had laid out as opposed to these three Warren Commission guys, and they said they felt they were being deceptive. They said they felt that they weren't wanting to bring all the facts out. So it's very interesting. Once it got into a public forum, and these people that were critics of the Warren Commission uh, were able to, you know, start talking to the people, um, it really, um, a lot of times the deck was stacked against them. People were seeing the points that they were laying out, and they were buying into them. They were saying, well, look, this is probably something that needs to be addressed further. It was certainly starting to at least turn the tide a little bit by the mid to late 1960s that, um, you know, doubt was starting to creep into people's minds. Oh, most definitely. And, and the one thing that I never understood with the Warren Commission, why they didn't record testimony. Now, I understand they recorded Marina's testimony on a, a plastic disc, but it's in the archives, but it's 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 virtually unlistenable. But she's the only one that they did this for. None of the other witnesses that, that they interviewed for the Warren Commission were ever recorded on tape. And, you know, that's that's unbelievable to me. You know, now jump forward to the HSCA. OK, well, they did a good job. Um, because I, th I believe they, tr they tried to tape everybody that they interviewed, which is good. Um, you know, we have a lot of information that we wouldn't otherwise have, you know, from a lot of different witnesses. Um, but the problem is you go to the archives today and Richard Gilbride was telling me about this. He, he actually went and listened and got and obtained copies of audio testimony from people like, Buell Frazier, Billy Lovelady, Harold Norman, uh, Junior Jarman, you know, all these guys. And you go back and you try to listen to it. None of these tapes are preserved very well. I mean, they have not held up good at all. I think two, two out of four of Buell Frazier's tapes are, are just nothing. There's just nothing there. And like if you try to listen to like Billy Lovelady, I mean, it's, it's excruciatingly painful to try to parse out what is being said. And, you know, it's just a shame that, that these tapes didn't hold up. Well, quickly before we get to the HFCA, I just wanted to go on here because we were getting into the late 1960s, and that's where you got when you got the garrison thing. And some of the stuff during the garrison investigation was absolutely despicable, what the media did. They were putting out actual half-hour, no, actually hour-long specials, basically sole purpose of discrediting, discrediting Jim Garrison and basically saying his investigation was a pack of lies, it was garbage, that he was a corrupt, corrupt DA, and that um, basically you shouldn't listen to the guy because he's, he's crooked. 
And um, I know NBC did one called the, um, the JFK Conspiracy, the case of Jim Garrison. CBS did one where they put JFK, where they put Jim Garrison into an interview with um, with Mike Wallace, where all Mike Wallace tried to do was discredit him and basically make him look like a buffoon. They were bringing out convicted felons as yeah. Jim Garrison. Guys that Jim Garrison had put in jail as some sort of critic, um, some sort of uh, evidence that Jim Garrison was a crooked DA, and they're bringing out all these guys that he helped put away, and these are the guys that maybe uh, are not big fans of Jim Garrison and would like to see him take a fall, and not to mention the fact that Jim Garrison had charges pending against Clay Shaw. He was going to go to trial. All all the time, there were all these reports in the media saying uh, Garrison's case is a fraud, it's a sham. Uh, is that not tampering with a potential jury pool? I mean, and uh, I mean, what kind of fair-thinking jury is going to be sitting uh, during the Clay Shaw trial when for the last two years they've been hearing nothing but Garrison's a, a nut and a fraud and the case is baseless? Well, that's really going to be a, a good chance there to uh, get a conviction when all the uh, jury members have been hearing that the case of a fraud. Yeah, and this was illustrated very well in the movie JFK. Just just for all the listeners out there, I'm going to let you. I got the audio for the 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 the, uh, the hit the hit piece that was done on Garrison on uh, on NBC, the JFK conspiracy, and I'm going to upload that as a companion to the show. It's about an hour long, so people are going to hear for themselves intense scrutiny and media bias against Jim Garrison um, just blatantly. And, and like, you know, like you were saying, Charles, there's no way in hell this could not have poisoned the minds of prospective jurors and, uh, you know, had them lean in the other way before they even walked in the courtroom and heard what Garrison had to say. Right. And I would urge everybody when Rob uh, posts that to give a listen to that because it's a terrible example a very, in my mind, dishonest journalism, very shabby journalism, and something that should not even be legalized. Because when you've got a district attorney taking somebody to trial, they should not have their case being poisoned by the media, being out there poisoning potential jurors. I mean, that, that just doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. No, well, that's that's I CIA mean, journalism I mean, it, at its it, finest. It, you know, it's 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 a hit. It was a hit piece. They didn't yeah, like the yeah. fact, you know, that he was doing what he was doing down there in New Orleans and digging and digging, and they were doing everything to try to discredit yeah. this guy and what he was doing down there. And uh, this 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 audio I'm going to upload is a perfect example of exactly what they were doing. Now they did have to uh, give Jim Garrison, you know, a half hour, an hour. Uh, airtime to refute everything that they said but you know the damage was done at this point you know garrison goes on there he looks like a smug a-hole yeah i mean like they always say you only get a first chance to make a uh, you only get one chance to make a first impression well the first impression everyone's going to get is that piece that nbc put out uh that hour-long piece discrediting garrison so uh, really he was uh fighting an uphill battle at that point that uh he was fighting up a mountain that he couldn't possibly climb. And uh, it was really, really, um, really just awful what they did. And not only that piece, but uh, a while later, uh, Jim Garrison was on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. 
talking about the case. And I had always had great respect for Johnny Carson. I had always thought he was a, a great talk show host. Uh, you'd always see Johnny Carson out there being uh, jovial, having fun with his guests, having a good time, having a good uh, conversation. When it came to Jim Garrison, Johnny Carson was just absolutely a jerk to him. And he just was absolutely horrible. He, uh, again, went into discreditation mode. It was just absolutely ridiculous. I've never seen Johnny Carson go after one of his guests with such vigor like he did with Jim Garrison. Now, that audio can also be found. You can find it on YouTube and give a listen because it just seemed that Johnny Carson was very mean-spirited during that entire exchange. It was just really, really bad. Yep, I, that, that's another piece yeah, of great really, audio, really. and I think you know it, yeah. it. It comes off as 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 once again another another orchestrated hit piece, you know, to sway public persuasion or perception against Jim Garrison. Yeah. You know, I don't even know if Johnny Carson wanted to do that. I mean, he didn't have people. You just don't have DAs and lawyers on your show to talk about a pending case. You know, that's just is not done today or in media right. in general. And for him to do that. Is just it was crazy, you know. And Jim Garrison's trying to show pictures of you know yeah. <laughs> the tramps and, and and this and that. He wouldn't let him do that. No, he's, you know you can't show that on TV. Oh, but you can bring the DA from New Orleans on TV and, yeah. and lambaste him, and that's okay. Why would Johnny Carson care if Jim Garrison's uh, case was successful or not? What reason would Johnny Carson have? Well, he's part of the to whole... go after Johnny Jim Garrison like he did. Yeah, I mean, he's I mean, part of the whole Mockingbird thing, you know. Yeah, it's, it's obviously all orchestrated. This is not something, yeah. It's not Johnny Carson saying, well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to take a strip off of this guy. People were telling him what to do, obviously. He had instructions on how to handle Garrison. And that was just kind of the whole media uh, modus operandi for that time, that anytime Garrison is on your show or anytime uh, you're discussing Jim Garrison, you put it in a bad light and you try and just. Because they wanted nothing to do with Jim Garrison. A very um, unreported story, a very underwhelming story. And it's really, um, when you saw the Warren Report come out, there were specials, there were, you know, hour-long specials reviewing the results of the Warren Report. There were glowing reviews of the Warren Report in newspapers. There was this, there was that. When the HSCA came out with their findings that it believed that there was a conspiracy to kill Kennedy, there was absolutely none of that. It maybe got a three-minute mention on a new nightly newscast. It went virtually ignored by the U.S. media, despite the fact that it basically reversed the decision and the findings of the Warren Report. Yeah, I mean, you know, this was, of course, back before the days of cable television and C-SPAN, uh, which the HSCA would have been on t- if they did it today, you know, we would be able to watch these proceedings and, and these uh, these questionings and these findings. But back then, you know, people got, you have to remember, you know, most people had three or four channels on their television back then. This was not covered by the major media. You know, it was not broadcast on television. It was very much a behind closed doors kind of deal. And sure, there was some media there. Sure, there was some some stories written about it in the Washington Post and, and disseminated, but it was, definitely wasn't given the coverage that it should have been, uh, you know, and the importance of it 
I don't think it was conveyed properly to the American people. No. Like I said, if you compare the coverage of the HSCA to the coverage of the Warren Report, it's night and day. The Warren Report was just fantastic. It was solved the crime. Uh, oh, well, yeah, the HSCA said this. And that was it. And still, even after the HSCA report, any time the media talked about the Kennedy assassination, they always went back to Warren, fi- Warren report findings and totally ignored the findings of the HSCA, which basically, in the eyes of the government, trumps the finding of the Warren Commission. Yeah, and then you know, even moving on a or little bit, Charles, the to, finding- to uh, you know, when when the, when the movie JFK came out. In the early '90s, you know, peop- you had the media going after Oliver Stone. You had you had the whole media push yeah. in not only television, radio, and in print to try to discredit, um, you know, the Oliver Stone film. I mean, this was when Case Closed is coming out. Um, you know, and there's a very big push. Yeah. You know, with using cable television, yeah. you know, to, to yeah, to develop these yeah. shows, um, you know, discrediting the uh, conspiracy, and it's it's definitely evident there again, you know, as well. And and, and the ARB, the ARRB, I could even that wasn't even covered at all. I mean, uh, you won't find any they, 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 to, to the media. It doesn't exist. Yet there's been some very significant findings coming out of that board, and there's been virtually no reporting on it. Uh, we thought the you think the HSCA is bad. The ARRB got no co- press coverage. No. It, there may have been a bit of a press release when it, the, it was first founded, but to any findings or any documents that they've produced, nothing. No. No newspapers. No nothing. You know, you, you don't hear about the Kennedy assassination 364 days of a year. You know, the one day you do hear about it is, of course, the anniversary. Yeah. And it's always, yeah, it's always spun in a official story kind of way. You know, we get the same puff pieces. Right. From, from you know, local Dallas news where they trot Buell Frazier out there and he spouts his crap and the same story he's been telling you know, here and there, or, uh, you know, like, I can't believe, you know, Marina, you know, somebody of her, of her nature has only been interviewed in national media, I think two or three times since the assassination in the past 50 years, you know, but you get these bit players, um, the guys that'll, that'll pair whatever they want to, you know, have said or whatever, uh, to support whatever theory that they want to say, you know, or it's just, you know, the reporter standing there telling you, you know, 50 years ago today, President Kennedy was killed in Dallas, you know, blah, 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 blah. And it, it means nothing. It's it's not informative. It's just, it's a puff piece. Uh, there's no any type of real investigative journalism that goes on here. I mean, when you get to like the, the, um, the digital platform, you've got obviously like shows like yours, which is a great show, Rob, the long time the podcast. You've got Chuck Ocelli. You've got Leno Sanic. You've got guys like that doing uh, shows on it constantly. Um, but that's the only way 
really the only where you're going to place you're going to hear stuff like this because you'll never hear anything in the mainstream media or any uh, talk shows. It's all Obama this, Obama that, terrorism, blah 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 blah. But you never ever hear them go back to the Kennedy assassination and say, "Oh well, today a document was released by the AARRB or anything like that." No, it's just uh, they basically ignore it. They say, they, as far as the media is concerned, it's a case closed and has been a cl- case closed since the early '60s. Kennedy was killed by Oswald, and then Oswald was killed by Ruby, and that's basically the end of the story as far as the media is concerned, and they report it in that context going forward. That's basically what they come up. And what they did, and one of the worst examples of this was the 50th anniversary uh, two years ago in 2013. There was an endless... I mean, you don't hear anything about Kennedy for a long time. And then there was an endless amount of JFK specials around the 50th anniversary. Probably a good 95% of them were just rehashes of the Warren Commission theory. I mean, there were a bunch by the Discovery Channel. There was CNN did one. NBC did one. CBS did one. You would think with all of the research that's gone on in the past 50 years and especially in the, I would say the past decade with uh, the advent of social media and people in the social media who have taken a further interest in the case and have done some good researches and have put out some very, very good um, reports and very, very good uh, essays and very, very good informative pieces. Um, you would think that at least someone in the media would look and read through these and say, hmm, this is interesting. This might be something that needs to be reported on. But no, it's always the Warren Commission line. Uh, it's just ridiculous. In the 50th anniversary, it was the same thing. Warren Commission, Kennedy shot, Oswald shot him, Ruby shot him. And that is where the story ends for them. They don't go any further f- forward. I think CNN did about a a, a three-minute thing on Garrison, but again, it was basically discrediting Garrison, calling him a nut. Yeah, and a, and, a, and a couple of these other guys that we need to mention by name, I think, guys like Dan Rather, um, you know, Tom Brokaw, you know, these these guys came out of, uh, you know, out of Dallas, and, uh, you know, they had these great careers. You know, people like Bill O'Reilly, Geraldo Rivera went on to great things well not great things but you know immense uh bigger than what they would have been you know these guys guys yeah in particular Geraldo Rivera and uh Bill O'Reilly those guys as far as I'm concerned are even worse and the reason is those two guys I consider complete and utter turncoats if you look at Geraldo Rivera Back in the 70s and the 80s, when he had his syndicated talk show, he also hosted the show on ABC, uh, Good Night America. He did early on some very good work that was critical of the official story. Don't forget, Geraldo Rivera was the first person to put the Zapruder film on national television. Yeah. Back in 1975, when he brought on uh, Dick Gregory and Robert Groden, onto Good Night America, and they actually showed the Zapruder film on national television for the first time 
And that was said to have been one of the catalysts for helping getting the HSCA uh, formed. And also then he got into a syndicated talk show in the 80s. Uh, and he would have on guests like Robert Groden. He had Gene Hill on. He would do shows that did question the official story, and it, it was very good reporting. Then all of a sudden, down the road, he gets hired by Fox News. His reporting on the JFK assassination does a complete 360. Mm-hmm. And I remember around the time, Time of the 50th anniversary, I was. they said they were going to have a couple of guests on. They were bringing on Mark Lane and Cyril Weck. And they had the two of them on, and Geraldo Rivera interviewed them for about, uh, I'd say, uh, seven to ten minutes, went through. And as you know, both Mark Lane and Cyril Weck are, of course, critics of the Warren Commission, believers in a and they went out and they were making some very good points about why the official story is incorrect and why it needs to be looked into further. So we talked to them. He said, okay, well, thank you. I thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me. And then he did this three-minute rant on how the conspiracy people, they just got it wrong. Oswald acted alone, and there was really no reason to look beyond Oswald basically discrediting anything that Mark Lane and Cyril Wecht had said in the previous 10 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, this is the guy that brought the Zapruder film to the American public. This is the guy that would interview uh, conspiracy witnesses on his own syndicated talk show. And now he just pushed that all aside. He's working for Fox News, so it's time to toe the party line. Yep. Even though he had just had two very good... And Mark Lane and Cyril Weck and basically didn't care what they said. It's like what they said, they may as well not have even said what they said because he wasn't going to give them any sort of credibility. He just came in and ripped them down as soon as they were gone. Ridiculous and shameful. He's a turncoat. And Bill O'Reilly's the same way. Mr. Fair and Balance, what say you? <laughs> in the 1980s when he was hosting Inside Edition. And still, it's still on about Inside Edition. Yes, it was a bit of a tabloid uh, show. I get that. But at the same time, they did some Kennedy stories. And you can find them on YouTube. And they were always conspiracy-oriented. Then he gets the job at Fox News. Then he writes that ridiculous Killing Kennedy book. It's a terrible movie on, based on the book. And it's all Oswald did it crap again. And this, again, was a guy... Who used to report on conspiracy stuff? Yeah, I remember watching that show, and he would. He, I think, he interviewed Antonio Vesiana. You know, after he got shot in the head, uh, I remember him chase, chasing him down or uh, something that. And then he got busted recently, though, for for claiming to be on George DeMorne Shields' front front porch uh, when he shot himself, but when he, he was actually in Texas at the time or something like that. Well, yeah. how can you give this guy any credibility? For this book that he wrote, which was a terrible book. No, I mean he's got killing Kennedy, got killing killing uh, Lincoln, killing Napoleon. I think he's got another one called killing Hitler. I think he's actually got one coming up. Killing Hitler. I think he's got one killing Jesus coming out. Yeah, and it's just uh, um. Well, and that's the other thing. Whenever people talk about JFK books, they always reference Case Closed by Gerald Posner. They always references Bill O'Reilly. 
And yet great books, books like um, books like uh, JFK and the Unspeakable by Jim Douglas, that actually got a fair amount of press. But there's some other good books out there. Destiny Betrayed by Jim Eugenio is a good book. But a lot of these good books don't even get mentioned. It's just all Gerald Posner, Vincent Bugliosi, Reclaiming History, John McCann, blah, 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 Max Holland. Yeah, well, think... These are always their go-to guys. The media's go-to. Well, not Bugliosi anymore. She passed away. But guys like McAdams, Max Holland, Gerald Posner. These are, whenever they do talk about Kennedy, these are the guys they talk to. Why? Because these guys support the official story. They don't want to hear from anybody else. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's part, that's part of the problem. You know, you you walk into Books a Million, and you go to the uh, American History section, and you see, of course, you see Killing Kennedy. You know, you see Case Closed. You're not going to see um, yeah. books from <clears throat> self self published books or from like lower tier publishing houses. You're just not going to see them there, and that's part of the problem too. Is that you know. The only kind of books that, that these places put in there. Now, I will say Barnes and Noble is a little better, um, but still, you know, not up anywhere to, to like like it yeah. should be. And, and as long as people keep buying this trash and these these fairy tale books, they're going to keep putting them out. You know, but like an average person walking off the street, they go they go in there and look. That's all they see. And that's what they're going to buy, and that's what they're going to read, and that's what they're going to believe. Yeah. And therein lies the problem. And one of the worst places, the, the Sixth Floor Museum, and they've got a gift shop with a big book section there. And this is supposed to be like a, a remembrance of the actual event, of course, the Sixth Floor Museum, which is in the old book depository building. You go to their bookshelf, you won't find anything, any books whatsoever, that even questions the official story. It's all Bugliosi, Posner, Max Holland, uh, John McAdams. Any book they have there is an Oswald Day. They have no partiality at all. They've, they've got their theory set in stone. And I guess the Sixth Floor Museum, it, they would, because, of course, that's where they're, I mean, this is where uh, they're claiming, well, Oswald shot from our window. So let's make money off of it. And that's all the books they sell. You're not going to find any conspiracy books. I know. I've been there personally. I looked at their book section. It was all lone gunman books. Fortunately, up here in Canada, we have a, uh, a bookstore chain called Chapters. And I will say that they are actually very good. You, you will find a large uh, variety of books. You still get the lone nut books. I get that. But you do also get quite a few books that question the official story, which I like. Oh, definitely, so definitely. Some it depends where you go. Yeah. Yep. So people out there, <clears throat> be on the lookout for, uh, you know, if your bookstore, if you go in there and you don't see what you want, let them know what you want. Okay, that's the only way things are going to change. Right. You know, and if you see crap on the television on Fox News, write them an email and tell them that this this is not what you want to see. This is uh. You know, you gotta you gotta have a voice. You know, we can sit here, me and Charles, and sit here and bitch about it all day, but until people start doing something about it and stop watching this crap, um, th it's not going to change. You know, they're going to keep making stupid uh, lone nut specials on the History Channel. They're going to keep, uh, you know, putting puff pieces out on the news. You gotta you gotta have a voice. You gotta let them know what you think, 
and stop watching this crap. Stop buying these crappy books that they want to churn out just to make a dollar off of you conspiracy nuts. Um, but yeah, uh, I think the media in the past 52 years, Charles has, has, has done a lot to, to hurt this case and cast it in a bad light and keep the truth from coming out to the people. And it's high time uh, we started doing something about it. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I, I would, I would absolutely echo what you're saying that, uh, you gotta tell these people or these media outlets, newspapers, um, wherever you can. If you see them parroting this this lone nut Oswald did it garbage, you know, write a letter or send an email, do something about it because if nobody does anything, they're just gonna keep doing it. Yeah, or at the very least, don't Not buy change. it. <laughs> yeah. All right, Charles. Well, man, yeah. I appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking about this media uh, in the past 50 years surrounding the JFK assassination. I uh, really appreciate it, man. Yep. Glad you had me on. I always enjoy coming on with you. Oh, me too, buddy. Me too. And uh, just uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, hey, no problem at all. And we'll so do let, it again. Let's not wait so long next time. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's not wait so long uh, this time. We'll get in sometime soon. Will do. And, and people, I'm going to put up that uh, that video. It's going to be, I guess I'll put it out on Spreaker. Um, it'll be audio of the Garrison video, the hit piece, uh, just so you can listen with your own ears and see what they were doing back then to the man. Um, so everybody head over to TLGpodcast.com for more. And I uh, hope everyone out there has a very Merry Christmas, Happy Holiday, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, all that good stuff. And Charles, happy holidays to you, my friend. And to you as well, and to all of your listeners, and uh, looking forward to what uh, 2016 brings. Yep, no doubt. Hopefully some more truth. <laughs> but that's it, people. This yes. some bitches in the can, beamed up the satellite down directly to your ears. This is your boy. Peace.
do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only.